0: Section 15 of Selected Interviews with Robert G. Ingersoll, Volume 2 This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Interviewers' Questions read by Edward Kirkby, Warwick, England Ingersoll's Responses read by Michelle Fry, Baton Rouge, Louisiana Interview Title The Stage and the Pulpit Printed in The Truth Seeker, New York, January 14, 1888 First Question What do you think of the Methodist minister at Nashville, Tennessee, who from his pulpit denounced the theatrical profession, without exception, as vicious, and of the congregation which passed resolutions condemning Miss Emma Abbott for rising in church and contradicting him, and of the Methodist bishop who likened her to a painted courtesan, and invoked the aid of the law for the protection of public worship against strolling players? Ingersoll's
1: answer. The Methodist minister of whom you speak, without doubt, uttered his real sentiments. The church has always regarded the stage as a rival, and all its utterances have been as malicious as untrue. It has always felt that the money given to the stage was in some way taken from the pulpit. It is on this principle that the pulpit wishes everything except the church shut up on Sunday. It knows that it cannot stand free and open competition all well-educated ministers know that the bible suffers by a comparison with shakespeare they know that there is nothing within the lids of what they call the sacred book that can for one moment stand side by side with lear or hamlet or julius caesar or antony and cleopatra or with any other play written by the immortal man they know what a poor figure the davids and the abrahams and the Jeremiah's and the lots the jonahs the Jobs, and the noahs cut when on the stage with the great characters of shakespeare for these reasons among others the pulpit is malicious and hateful when it thinks of the glories of the stage what minister is there are now living who could command the prices commanded by edwin booth or joseph jefferson and what two clergymen by making a combination could contend successfully with robeson and crane how many clergymen would it take to command at regular prices the audiences that attend the presentation of wagner's operas it's very easy to see why the pulpit attacks the stage nothing could have been in more wretched taste than for the minister to condemn miss emma abbott for rising in church and defending not only herself but other good women who were doing honest work for an honest living Of course, no minister wishes to be answered. No minister wishes to have anyone in the congregation call for the proof. A few questions would break up all the theology in the world. Ministers can succeed only when congregations keep silent. When superstition succeeds, doubt must be dumb. The Methodist bishop who attacked Miss Abbott simply repeated the language of several centuries ago in the laws of england actors were described as sturdy vagrants and this bishop calls them strolling players if we only had some strolling preachers like garrick like edwin forrest or booth or barrett or some crusade sisters like mrs siddons madame restori charlotte cushman or madame majeska how fortunate the church would be What is your opinion
0: of the relative merits of the pulpit and the stage, preachers and actors?
1: We must remember that the stage presents an ideal life. It is a world controlled by the imagination, a world in which the justice delayed in real life may be done, and in which that may happen, which, according to the highest ideal, should happen it is a world for the most part in which evil does not succeed in which the vicious are foiled in which the right the honest the sincere and the good prevail it cultivates the imagination and in this respect is far better than the pulpit the mission of the pulpit is to narrow and shrivel the human mind the pulpit denounces the freedom of thought and of expression but on the stage the mind is free And for thousands of years the poor, the oppressed, the enslaved, have been permitted to witness plays wherein the slave was freed, wherein the oppressed became the victor, and where the downtrodden rose supreme. And there is another thing. The stage has always laughed at the spirit of caste. The low-born lass has loved the prince. All human distinctions in this ideal world have for the moment vanished, while honesty and love have triumphed. The stage lightens the cares of life. The pulpit increases the tears and groans of man. There is this difference, the pretense of honesty and the honesty of pretense.
0: How do you view the Episcopalian scheme of building a six million dollar untaxed cathedral in this city, for the purpose of uniting the sects, and, when that is accomplished, unifying the world in the love of Christ, and thereby abolishing misery?
1: i regard the building of an episcopal cathedral simply as a piece of religious folly the world will never be converted by christian palaces and temples every dollar used in its construction will be wasted it will have no tendency to unite the various sects on the contrary it will excite the envy and jealousy of every other sect it will widen the gulf between the episcopalian and the methodist between the episcopalian and the presbyterian and this hatred will continue until the other sects build a cathedral just a little larger and then the envy and the hatred will be on the other side religion will never unify the world and never will give peace to mankind there has been more war in the last eighteen hundred years than during any similar period within historic times war will be abolished if it ever is abolished not by religion but by intelligence it will be abolished when the poor people of germany of france of spain of england and other countries find that they have no interest in war when those who pay and those who do the fighting find that they are simply destroying their own interests wars will cease there ought to be a national court to decide national difficulties we consider a community civilized when the individuals of that community submit their differences to a legal tribunal but there being no national court, nations now sustain, as to each other, the relation of savages. That is to say, each one must defend its rights by brute force. The establishment of a national court civilizes nations and tends to do away with war. Christianity caused so much war, so much bloodshed, that Christians were forced to interpolate a passage to account for their history, and the interpolated passage is, quote, "'I came not to bring peace, but a sword.'" Suppose that all the money wasted in cathedrals in the Middle Ages had been used for the construction of schoolhouses, academies, and universities, how much better the world would have been. Suppose that instead of supporting hundreds of thousands of idle priests, the money had been given to men of science for the purpose of finding out something of benefit to the human race here in this world what is your opinion
0: of christian charity and the fatherhood of god as an economic polity for abolishing poverty and misery
1: of course the world is not to be civilized and clothed and fed through charity ordinary charity creates more want than it alleviates the greatest possible charity is the greatest possible justice When proper wages are paid, when everyone is as willing to give what a thing is worth as he is now willing to get it for less, the world will be fed and clothed. I believe in helping people to help themselves. I believe that corporations and successful men and superior men intellectually should do all within their power to keep from robbing their fellow men. The superior man should protect the inferior. The powerful should be the shield of the weak today it is for the most part exactly the other way the failures among men become the food of success the world is to grow better and better through intelligence through a development of the brain through taking advantage of the forces of nature through science through chemistry and through the arts religion can do nothing except to sow the seeds of discord between men and nations commerce manufactures and the arts tend to peace and the well-being of the world what is known as religion that is to say a system by which this world is wasted in preparation for another a system in which the duties of men are greater to god than to his fellow-men a system that denies the liberty of thought and expression tends only to discord and retrogression of course i know that religious people cling to the bible on account of the good that is in it and in spite of the bad and i know that freethinkers throw away the bible on account of the bad that is in it in spite of the good i hope the time will come when that book will be treated like other books and will be judged upon its merits apart from the fiction of inspiration the church has no right to speak of charity because it is an object of charity itself it gives nothing all it can do is to receive. At best, it is only a respectable beggar. I never care to hear one who receives alms pay a tribute to charity. The one who gives alms should pay this tribute. The amount of money expended upon churches and priests and all the paraphernalia of superstition is more than enough to drive the wolves from the doors of the world.
0: Have you noticed the progress Catholics are making in the Northwest? discontinuing public schools and forcing people to send their children to the parochial schools also at pittsburgh pennsylvania a roman catholic priest has been elected principal of a public school and he has appointed nuns as assistant teachers
1: sectarian schools ought not to be supported by public taxation it is the very essence of religious tyranny to compel a methodist to support a catholic school or to compel a catholic to support a baptist academy NOTHING SHOULD BE TAUGHT IN THE PUBLIC SCHOOLS THAT THE TEACHERS DO NOT KNOW. NOTHING SHOULD BE TAUGHT ABOUT ANY RELIGION, AND NOTHING SHOULD BE TAUGHT THAT CAN IN ANY WAY BE CALLED SECTARIAN. THE SCIENCES ARE NOT RELIGION. THERE IS NO SUCH THING AS METHODIST MATHEMATICS OR BAPTIST BOTANY. IN OTHER WORDS, NO RELIGION HAS ANYTHING TO DO WITH FACTS. THE FACTS ARE ALL SECULAR. THE SCIENCES ARE ALL OF THIS WORLD if catholics wish to establish their own schools for the purpose of preserving their ignorance they have the right to do so so has any other denomination but in this country the state has no right to teach any form of religion whatever persons of all religions have the right to advocate and defend any religion in which they believe or they have a right to denounce all religions if the catholics establish parochial schools let them support such schools and if they do, they will simply lessen or shorten the longevity of that particular superstition. It has often been said that nothing will repeal a bad law as quickly as its enforcement. So, in my judgment, nothing will destroy any church as certainly and as rapidly as for the members of that church to live squarely up to the creed. The church is indebted to its hypocrisy today for its life. No Orthodox Church in the United States dare meet for the purpose of revising the creed. They know that the whole thing would fall to pieces. Nothing could be more absurd than for a Roman Catholic priest to teach a public school assisted by nuns. The Catholic Church is the enemy of human progress. It teaches every man to throw away his reason, to deny his observation and experience.
0: Your opinions have frequently been quoted with regard to the anarchists, with regard to their trial and execution. Have you any objection to stating your real opinion in regard to the matter?
1: Not in the least. I am perfectly willing that all civilised people should know my opinions on any question in which others than myself can have an interest. I was anxious in the first place that the defendants should have a fair and impartial trial. The worst form of anarchy is when a judge violates his conscience and bows to a popular demand a court should care nothing for public opinion an honest judge decides the law not as it ought to be but as it is and the state of the public mind throws no light upon the question of what the law then is i thought that some of the rulings on the trial of the anarchists were contrary to law i still think so i have read the opinion of the supreme court of illinois and while the conclusion reached by that tribunal is the law of the case i was not satisfied with the reasons given and do not regard the opinion as good law there is no place for an anarchist in the united states there is no excuse for any resort to force and it is impossible to use language too harsh or too bitter in denouncing the spirit of anarchy in this country but no matter how bad a man is he has the right to be fairly tried, and if he can't be fairly tried, then there is anarchy on the bench. So I was opposed to the execution of these men. I thought it would have been far better to commute the punishment to imprisonment, and I said so. And I not only said so, but I wrote a letter to Governor Oglesby, in which I urged the commutation of the death sentence. In my judgment, a great mistake was made. I am on the side of mercy and if i ever make mistakes i hope they will all be made on that side i have not the slightest sympathy with the feeling of revenge neither have i ever admitted and i never shall that every citizen has not the right to give his opinion on all that may be done by any servant of the people by any judge or by any court by any officer however small or however great each man in the united states is a sovereign and a king can freely speak his mind. Words were put in my mouth that I never uttered with regard to the anarchists. I never said that they were saints or that they would be martyrs. What I said was that they would be regarded as saints and martyrs by many people if they were executed, and that has happened which I said would happen. I am, so far as I know, on the side of the right. I wish, above all things, for the preservation of human liberty— this government is the best and we should not lose confidence in liberty property is of very little value in comparison with freedom a civilization that rests upon slavery is utterly worthless i do not believe in sacrificing all there is of value in the human heart or in the human brain for the preservation of what is called property or rather on account of the fear that what is called property may perish property is in no danger while man is free It is the freedom of man that gives value to property. It is the happiness of the human race that creates what we call value. If we preserve liberty, the spirit of progress, the conditions of development, property will take care of itself.
0: The Christian press during the past few months has been very solicitous as to your health and has reported you weak and feeble physically and not only so but asserts that there is a growing disposition on your part to lay down your arms and even to join the church
1: i do not think the christian press has been very solicitous about my health neither do i think that my health will ever add to theirs the fact is i am exceedingly well and my throat is better than it has been for many years anyone who imagines that i am disposed to lay down my arms can read my reply to dr field in the november number of the north american review i see no particular difference in myself except this that my hatred of superstition becomes a little more and more intense on the other hand i see more clearly that all the superstitions were naturally produced and i am now satisfied that every man does as he must including priests and editors of religious papers this gives me hope for the future we find that certain soil with a certain amount of moisture and heat produces good corn and we find when the soil is poor or when the ground is too wet or too dry that no amount of care can by any possibility produce good corn in other words we find that the fruit that is to say the result whatever it may be depends absolutely upon the conditions THIS BEING SO, WE WILL IN TIME FIND OUT THE CONDITIONS THAT PRODUCE GOOD, INTELLIGENT, HONEST MEN. THIS IS THE HOPE FOR THE FUTURE. WE SHALL KNOW BETTER THAN TO RELY ON WHAT IS CALLED REFORMATION, OR REGENERATION, OR A RESOLUTION BORN OF IGNORANT EXCITEMENT. WE SHALL RELY THEN ON THE ETERNAL FOUNDATION, THE FACT IN NATURE THAT LIKE CAUSES PRODUCE LIKE RESULTS, AND THAT GOOD CONDITIONS WILL PRODUCE GOOD PEOPLE
0: every now and then someone challenges you to a discussion and nearly everyone who delivers lectures or speeches attacking you or your views says that you are afraid publicly to debate these questions why do you not meet these men and why do you not answer these attacks
1: in the first place it would be a physical impossibility to reply to all the attacks that have been made to all the answers i receive these attacks and these answers and these lectures almost every day hundreds of them are delivered every year a great many are put in pamphlet form and of course copies are received by me some of them i read at least i look them over and i have never yet received one worthy of the slightest notice never one in which the writer showed the slightest appreciation of the questions under discussion all these pamphlets are about the same and they could for the matter have all been produced by one person they are impudent shallow "'abusive, illogical, and, in most respects, ignorant. "'So far as the lecturers are concerned, "'I know of no one who has yet said anything that challenges a reply. "'I do not think a single paragraph has been produced "'by any of the gentlemen who have replied to me in public "'that is now remembered by reason of its logic or beauty. "'I do not feel called upon to answer any argument "'that does not at least appear to be of value.' Whenever any article appears worthy of an answer, written in a kind and candid spirit, it gives me pleasure to reply. I should like to meet someone who speaks by authority, someone who really understands his creed, but I cannot afford to waste time on little priests or obscure parsons or ignorant laymen.
0: This ends our interview, The Stage and the Pulpit.